live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Beautiful downtown Eugene today because we just finished a Lane County Board of Commissioners meeting. That's why I'm getting on the air late tonight. Uh, and it's actually not such a great day here in the Pacific Northwest. It's pretty darn stormy and icy outside. So um, I have to jump in the car after this and commute through this, this lovely weather. So uh, just finished up a Board of Commissioners meeting where we had to make an appointment to Senate District 7, and we had a choice of three candidates that um, in Oregon we have to, uh, when we're appointing to fill a partisan position uh, such as this, we have to take um, somebody from the same party, and we have to take somebody from a slate of nominees that comes from the county party. Um, so. For Senate District 7, we had uh, former State Representative Val Hoyle, actually she's still State Rep until January 9th, and uh, we had uh, James Manning, who is an EWEB commissioner and just finishing up his, his term on the EWEB board, and then we had uh, a young gentleman named Zach Mulholland, who's uh, probably best known as a climate change activist. Uh, and. You know, it was uh, kind of a tough choice. They were all good candidates, and you kind of wonder, you know, how do you make that sort of choice? As a Republican, you get to pick a Democrat to serve in the legislature in a pretty important seat. And it, we actually ended up appointing James Manning, uh, although I actually made a motion and uh, got a second to appoint Val Hoyle, and it was amended. Um, but it's you know, obviously a split board. It, it happened on a 3-2 vote uh, with Commissioner Lykin and myself supporting Representative Hoyle and uh, the other three commissioners uh, supporting James Manning. And uh, I believe Commissioner Stewart made his decision at the time the vote was taken. He was that close. Um, but, you know, I know there, there, I got 325 emails before the meeting on this subject. Uh, majority of which were from ant from pro Second Amendment folks against Representative Hoyle. So I'm sure I made a lot of them angry by even considering her and trying to get her the nomination. This has to be more more about more than just um, one Senate bill that passed last session and Michael Bloomberg. Uh, this is about what's best for Lane County and what's important for Lane County. And Representative Hoyle has a long tradition of being a very pro-business Democrat and even a pro-gun Democrat. In 2013 session, she had a 100% rating from the NRA. Um, and the other two candidates have no experience. Uh, and we are facing a year coming up. I think if you listen to my last uh, Bose Nose show, you'll hear, you, know, you can go through and hear all about the governor's budget and the issues it's causing for Lane County. Uh, we needed a strong advocate for Lane County in Salem, and I think we just handed them a rookie. Um, and I think the major reason that um, there was support for that um, uh, rookie was, you know, purely on a uh, diversity um, aspect. 
So I, I, um, kind of sad it got down to that uh, in some ways because I think uh, Lane County ultimately, you know, you never know. Uh, James Manning may do a a spectacular job as a state senator, and I may be totally pleased. But just sitting here right now, I'm concerned because we just appointed somebody with zero legislative experience uh, to serve in the higher house of our, you know, bicameral um, legislative body. And uh, it's kind of a body with only 30 people and only 18 people in the caucus. When you start splitting up committees and stuff like that, you can't have somebody there that's um, not a strong advocate. Um, so it's, you know, really, um, really disappointing that it didn't go uh, towards Representative Hoyle in some ways. And, you know, I invite folks uh, out there that might have an opinion about this, and I'm sure some of my constituents do because I did hear from some of you about this issue, uh, to call the show at 646-721-9887, and it just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. Because, um, uh, you know, I actually probably heard more emails that basically said nominate anyone but Hoyle. And I would love a chance to have a conversation, explain some of my thinking, because I think a lot of people don't understand that uh, both of the other Senate Bill 941 and both of the other candidates have, have not been definitive about further gun control legislation. So for me, they were equal on gun control. You know, uh, there, there really wasn't a separation on that issue. So I had to think of other issues out there. And... Um, it's really, um, you know, uh, sad that we, we couldn't think beyond um, other things you know, in making this decision about what's best for Lane County because, um, you know, Representative Hoyle has taken a lot of heat from her own caucus sometimes because of um, stances she's taken that have been pro-business pro community in the past. Uh, and I think that would have been really an important voice to have um, versus a rookie up there. So if you want to talk about Senate District 7, you can give us a call at, uh, again, it's 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets Robin, our call screener, know you want to get in on the conversation. Or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net, or reach us on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page, too, uh, KRBN Radio. Uh, just put that in the search up there on Facebook, and you'll find us. Uh, really, uh, you know, was a uh, interesting meeting. Uh, went a lot longer than I thought. Sorry for the short show tonight, um, but it's just going to have to be that way. We can talk about other stuff too. Uh, we, you know, the county made about a whole lot in this this last week because it's our last official week of business before the end of the year because we go on a two-week recess coming up, and uh, almost three-week actually, and. We talked about courthouses and city halls today, and we actually at about 11 o'clock this morning, uh, or 11.30, I think was by the time we made the motion, um, chose to uh, ask the city to sell us the entire city hall block uh, to the east of our current uh, courthouse and county building. and. Uh, basically, you know, left it up to the city if they wanted to try and purchase our, our butterfly lot or not or whether they were going to go down to eWeb, that was up to them. 
And then the city had a work session at noon where um, I was kind of half expecting them to select buying the eWeb building for their city hall. And uh, one of the counselors flipped their position on that. And ultimately, and you know, early in the in the meeting, Alan Zelenka tried to eliminate selling the city hall block to the county as as a, an option. And then by the end of the meeting, he actually made the motion to uh, direct staff to enter negotiations with us to sell us that block and to purchase the uh, butterfly lot. Uh, of course, it'd be contingent upon us getting a determination that. Uh, the first deed actually is the correct deed for the butterfly lot that doesn't have the restrictions on it versus the second deed that was recorded uh, 40 years later by accident that had the restrictions in it. That um, So it's kind of which deeds, uh, you know, match uh, which, but it's definitely, uh, you know, one of those things where, uh, you know, it was kind of surprising to see Alan Zelenka actually be the one that makes the motion, and it was a 5-3 vote to support that. Uh, I really thought, you know, from the uh, editorial that was in the Register Guard and everything else that had three city councilors' signatures on it, and my understanding that um, Clara Surrett was actually supporting the eWeb building, that that's the direction they were going to go. So if you want to talk about courthouses and city halls and, and, and things there, we can talk about that. Or we can talk about supportive housing and some of the uh, sites that have been identified uh, by the county as possible future sites for what they call a housing first facility and what exactly is a housing first facility um, to try and deal with some of our um, uh, homeless folks here in Lane County in a more effective manner. And, uh, you know, the two sites that were identified, uh, one of them is across from uh, you know, Austin Stadium, so, you know, it's going to be a, in a fairly uh, visible location right across from our behavioral health facility, so it kind of puts them right where they need to be as services. And the other one was identified over in a uh, far corner of our fairgrounds. It's kind of isolated, um, a little finger of land that sticks out from our fairgrounds land uh, over in the Jefferson West Side neighborhood. So um, it, it's... Uh, an interesting topic, uh, just starting to look into those sites, probably the one that's across from Autzen would be the first facility we would build uh, if we go there. Um, the, the fairgrounds one, there's still uh, much research to be done before we get there. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's really um, interesting times here in Lane County. And then, of course, we made a big decision on a quarry on Tuesday. That kind of made the guard, register guard, too. Uh, and that kind of brings me to a whole discussion of Oregon's land use law that we can talk about on that subject, if that's what interests you. Uh, I know there's some people up in the Oak Ridge area that might be disappointed with the board, but it gets down to uh, how Oregon land use law works and what we actually had to make a decision on as uh, the board acting in a quasi-judicial manner, where we actually can only make our decision based on the record that's in place and only um, the uh, uh, only be able to uh, rule on the actual um, 
requirements set forth and and the uh, that or have to be met you know, for the permit uh, application or or in this case a plan amendment application. We can't go outside of those those parameters. We can't bring in something from outside the record to make our base our ruling on, and we can't uh, invent a new criteria. So it's the criteria and the record, and that's it. And the record provided enough evidence that they met all the criteria, and there was not enough evidence showing they weren't meeting the criteria. So uh, the board was left with and made a 4-1 decision to tentatively approve the quarry up there in, on TV Butte in uh, Oak Ridge. And uh, I think there are some disappointed people about that. But if they want to understand the, the issue and if they have a real issue about it, it's kind of in who sets the criteria and how the land use laws got set really an issue with the legislature if they want to have a change um, in how quarries get permitted the legislature has to change the rules the county can't change the state rules on that so um, which is why I had the you know one comment where somebody uh, at the end of the guard article said something to me and I said back you need to talk to the state because um, that's really where the, the change needs to happen if they want to have us have a little bit more uh, ability to bring other issues into the review of a, a quarry permit. So, lots of things we've done this week. Covered a whole gamut. You know, it's just amazing sometimes the the sitting as a county commissioner the, the the differences in what we get to talk about. You know, from supportive housing and housing first and homelessness to um, you know. You know, we're talking about the county fair this morning in a work session, how successful that was last summer. By the way, we set records for uh, number of people coming and how much money the vendors made and everything else. It was a wonderful fair last year. To uh, picking new senators for our legislature when, to fill a vacancy, to uh, land use decisions about quarries. You know, it's a, it's a pretty diverse job being a county commissioner. We got to see a lot. And, of course, we can just talk general politics if people want to talk about that because it is a free-for-all show, and you are allowed to steer the conversation if you just want to call in at 646-721-9887 uh, and just press 1. And, uh, you know, if I sound out of breath, it's partly because I had to kind of run up to my office after the meeting and try and get this uh, show on the road, so to speak. So, um Please, you know, just give us a call. Uh, you want to get in on the conversation. This is your show and your opportunity to talk to a county commissioner or an elected official um, about anything, you know, from the perspective of an elected official. You know, if you, you know, even if it's a federal issue or something like that, I have pretty good insight on, you know, how we have to view uh, decisions and, and what comes into that decision-making uh, process. Uh, just like, you know, with the, the Senate appointment, you know, my big concern was what's best for the citizens of Lane County in the long run and having an experienced person step into a tough budget season uh, versus, you know, having to only make decisions based on the law and not bringing in our own personal biases or uh, information outside of the record or whatever else. We can't do that at times. There's some things when we get into that quasi-judicial mode that, have to be done just according to the letter of what the, what's the criteria and what's the record. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Today was you know the Senate decision. You know we we really kind of had carte blanche as long as we chose one of those three candidates. 
And I, I tell you, um, I was really impressed with Zach Mulholland as far as his intelligence and ability to listen. I met with him for about an hour and a half, and I heard my primary concerns come back to me uh, in his own words and in his own phrasing and phrased well, where he had gone and done research, got to understand the issue, and then came back and talked about how he would try and help with those issues in Salem. Um, so that was kind of impressive. It's too bad his main claim to fame is being a climate change activist, and he really is pushing for a cap-trade and tax bill in Oregon. One of the reasons I just can't, couldn't bring myself to supporting him uh, to serve in the legislature besides his complete lack of any experience in an elected office at least James Manning has sat on the eWeb board, and he's also been on a school board's budget committee uh, and seen a budget actually come together, although I would say um, a citizen member of a budget committee is not quite like being an elected official putting the budget together. Um, you kind of get spoon-fed the budget by staff, and you kind of nod yes or no, and, and that's about all you do. So, um, you know, this was really about getting somebody that would be effective, and I was really um, kind of disappointed we didn't get the what I felt was going to be the most effective person in this seat. And I know that there are folks out there that probably hate me for even considering her and are swearing they're never going to vote for me again because I supported a gun-grabbing person that's just a puppet of Michael Bloomberg. If you're one of those people, give me a call, and we'll have a conversation. Again, it's 646-721-9887. And just press one, and that lets Robin know you want to get in on the conversation here. And I, you know, kind of um, curious, uh, you know, if, if Robin has my my producer has any thoughts, you know, because you probably didn't know what the decision was. You just kind of heard my rundown uh, of the Senate appointment. Uh, you know, you know, I was getting a lot of uh, emails from. Uh, actually all over the state, you know, I kind of have to ignore the ones from Lake Oswego or Myrtle Point about who I'm going to appoint to represent a district here in Lane County. But, you know, I got over 300 emails, and I would say about 80% of them were don't appoint anyone but Val Hoyle. Uh, you know, Robin, what do you think of that, the decision that, you know, how it suddenly swung to this James Manning, and it was kind of based on we have an opportunity to, to – uh, you know, have the first African-American um, legislator, legislator from Lane County, and it's an opportunity we can't pass up. Well, I mean, I'm kind of, I, I'm colorblind, so to speak. You know, I don't really care, you know, what color they are or race as long as they can do the job and do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I... I, I agree with that, and I actually mentioned that in my comments. And you know, at the same time, I also mentioned the folks that I had an African American roommate in college, and I also had two African American men in my wedding party um, when I got married. Uh, so this isn't, you know, for me, it's not about race. And I was, you know, we, I was like, you know, I hate to do something purely because it's a diversity issue. I want to do this as colorblind, and, and of course, uh, the. Two of the commissioners that, that supported Mr. Manning basically said, "Well, we can't, ignore, you know, we're not colorblind and all that stuff." And it, it's one of those arguments that gets to be circular after a while. Um, and I just, I, I, I dislike that kind of decision-making process. Um, right. I, I think um, it, it leads to the um, subtle 
discrimination of low expectations. So could you maybe summarize a little bit about the pros and ramifications of, uh, of what happened today? Well, basically, whoever we appointed to that Senate seat is going to serve for two more years and then be in a position to run as an incumbent uh, for, for re-election to that Senate seat. So it's a really pretty important decision. And then when you think about it, the Senate right now is split um, about 1713 up there in the caucus. There is one senator already that will vote with the Republicans on business issues and gun issues and a few other things. Very, very conservative Democrat, Betsy Johnson. In fact, when the Senate was split 1614, they referred to her as the most powerful politician in Oregon, even more powerful than the governor, because if she decided to vote against something, against her caucus, it wasn't going anywhere because it would be a 15-15 tie. So if we had gotten um, Representative Hoyle up there as an, another pro-business, fairly conservative Democrat, although I, she wouldn't agree with Betsy on gun issues maybe necessarily, but on things like um, uh, banning herbicide use in the, st in the state of Oregon or anti-GMO stuff or, or um, banning clear cuts or whatever it is, the timber, anti-timber, anti-farming, um, activists, environmental activists want to propose it's going to hurt business, those two could have held the, the legislation hostage because it would be two votes and, and a 15-15 tie. That's how critical this appointment was. So sending somebody up there that has an unknown history relative to supporting those issues where you got to stand up against the usual supporters of your caucus and the environmental movement and stand with the folks that are usually pilloried by your caucus, which is what they call the extraction industries, like timber and gravel mining folks, and and uh, you know farmers that actually use uh, uh, a chemical now and then on their crops. Uh, they, you know, that's a tough thing to do. But the thing, and and Val has the experience of having done that and been willing to do that, um, and I just didn't see. Um, how that, you know, you know, we couldn't benefit from placing her up there and placing a rookie up there that has, has, doesn't have a track record, um, who, by the way, went to Elizabeth Warren's campaign school when he ran for House District 14 and he lost the primary. I actually thought he was a better candidate in the primary because the woman that won is radically anti-gun, um, where James is only somewhat anti-gun. He you know, stated in his campaign that he would support Senate Bill 941, but you got to wonder about somebody that goes to Elizabeth Warren's campaign school <laughs> and how yeah. they are as far as, as uh, you know, socialism versus capitalism. Um, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's a critical seat, you know. It had that much of a turning point because of the way that the, the, it's divided right now between R&D up in Salem in the Senate and because of Betsy Johnson and her tendency to vote against her caucus now and then. And, you know, Chris Edwards actually was one of those people that kind of sometimes made his caucus angry and voted against him, uh, who, who we were replacing. Had we been able to stick Val in there, there would have been times where her and Betsy would have been a great, strong, set of women to, to hold the floodgates shut against 
a tide of bad, bad, very liberal anti-business legislation. And uh, we, we missed an opportunity here because we had a unique opportunity to, to appoint a first African-American man uh, to the legislature from Lane County. And to me, that was, uh, you know, it, w it wasn't colorblind, but it was definitely blind to the best interests of Lane County a and the state in the long run. And if we can, uh, I'm just looking at the summary for the bill of 941, so people know, which says, uh, and it's kind of interesting, it says, relating to firearms and declaring an emergency. It says the bill requires yeah. private persons to complete transfer of firearms by appearing with transferee before gun dealer to request crim criminal background check or shipping or delivering firearm to a gun dealer in certain circumstances. Yep, uh, 941 was a, a horrible bill, and I testified against it, tried to get it amended, and, you know, Val didn't help on any amendments, and she actually voted for it and was actually listed as a sponsor. But folks have to understand, at times, what happens up front is not what's happening behind the scenes, which is there is an anti-gun caucus in the Democrat caucus that would have put forward far worse legislation than Senate Bill 941. And I think what Val did was allow this one to move forward versus some ones that had everything from assault weapons bans, magazine uh, capacity limitations, uh, you know, you know, much further restrictions. Um, you, know, you know, where you can carry uh, carry permit restrictions. You know, all sorts of things that folks in her caucus from from the Portland area really would rather have had in that bill. And one of the reasons why she she told me privately that some of these amendments didn't get done was once they opened the bill for amendment, the side that wanted the the worst stuff was going to slip that in, and uh, they had the votes to pass it, you know, regardless. So it was, uh, um, you know, it was a bad bill, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And and, and sometimes that that gets lost in the discussion of what happens in the legislative process um, is trying to keep some of the extreme. Uh, members of your caucus from having influence on legislation. Um, sometimes you um, put your name and let something go through that is not exactly what you want, but it's not as bad as what they want, just to keep them from having that influence and keeping them them quiet. Um, so that that may have been some of what was at play with Senate Bill 941. Absolutely hate the emergency clause. I really think that, that if we can get enough signatures on that. Um, uh, initiative petition to make the emergency clause only um, apply to bills that can get a three-fourths majority um, in, the, in the, or whatever it is, a, a, a three-fifths or three-fourths majority. I think that's really important. I forget the name of that initiative petition, but if you guys put, um, uh, you know, something about emergency clause initiative petition uh, organ into your search engine, I think you probably find it online. Uh, I think is that, that why they? Uh, is that why it says in here declares emergency effective on passage? Yeah. What that essentially does in Oregon law is a bill that's uh, an emergency bill.
can't be referred to the citizens by the voters. So when you when you get to uh, you know like the uh, once upon a time they're going to try and give driver's license to non-citizens by legislation here in Oregon, and they didn't put an emergency clause on it, and the citizens gathered signatures and put it on the ballot and then voted it down. And they kind of learned their lesson, and they've now started attaching the emergency clause to everything just to prevent the citizens from exercising their referral rights, which I think, you know, for a party that always talks about voting rights and stuff like that, like, um, you know, the, the Democrat caucus does, using the emergency clause is going after citizens' voting rights and just trying to exercise a dictatorship from the legislator legislature and it's something that needs to end so you know i you know um i don't know if i can get the exact initiative petition pulled up here or not but i would suggest people look for that anti-emergency clause um initiative in oregon um and get their signature on it because i think a lot of the a lot of the times um you can get uh these downloadable versions where you download a single signature sheet and then you can mail it into the organ the, the uh, guys that are collecting signatures and it'll help them out with getting it uh, approved by by the state um, so uh, yeah that's you know really one of the things that we probably need to change in the state is is the use of the emergency the abuse of the emergency clause um, exactly. Well, and, and to top it off, the seriousness of this is uh, uh, this is punishes by a violation by a maximum of one year imprisonment, $6,250 fine or both, with a maximum of 10 years imprisonment or $250,000 fine or both. Yeah. So it's, it's a serious thing. But yeah, in either way, the emergency clause, like I said, has been abused. It's a way of them to sneak stuff in that they want, despite what we want. Yeah. No more fake emergencies act is what it's called. <laughs> yeah, it is a way. And, and, you know, this Senate bill, you know, it actually would make it illegal. You know, I, I own several guns. I'm a gun owner. I also have a concealed weapons uh, permit. So does my wife. Um, and if we were, say, to decide we're going to travel the world uh, for a month and uh, we, we're going to leave our house empty, replacing our dogs with some friends or, you know, who knows what else, and we wanted to right. uh, store our guns in a friend's gun locker, we would actually be violating the law if that friend was not a relative by the way that law is written, and we would be subject to those fines and all if we didn't go and get you know, go to a local gun shop and go through the background check process to give them our guns, and then we would have they would have to go through the same process to give them back when we return from our trip. That's how ridiculous that law was. So um, definitely, uh, you know, that was a, a bad law. I wasn't happy with Val about some of those things, but I understood that sometimes it's about not getting a worse law. Um, in place, and and I kind of and she was kind of in a in a tough spot with her caucus and all that. But well, refresh um, my memory, but wasn't wasn't there a, a I think it was Oregon that 
if I wanted to loan you a gun, we had to go down to the state police, pay five dollars a uh, a day or something like that, and that's just to loan it for you know for a couple of days or something. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's basically. Uh, um, you know, that's, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. You know, you can't loan a gun, you can't, you know, and they were going to try and fix some of that, and they didn't even try and fix some of that bill because of the fear of any amendment openings in the bill were going to open it up to the bill getting worse versus the bill getting better. So mm-hmm. they, they passed the bill as written, and I can tell you the real person, if people want to get mad at somebody, um, you know, this was really uh, state State Senator's Floyd Brzezowski's bill. Uh, you know, he was the he was the author and the lead writer and sponsor of the bill. So, uh, well, I think what I'll do is that on on our show page, I'll go ahead and post a link to the uh, uh, initiative position forty nine, so people can uh, link directly to it. Great, that'd be a good thing because I, I do think we need to get rid, we need to not get rid of the emergency clause. There are times when it is important. Uh, you know, you write a new law that really needs to be effective immediately. But if it's that important, you should be able to get a, a supermajority to agree that you need to add that emergency clause. So, you know, that, that's what that, that initiative is all about. And I think it would be a great thing if we could pass that in Oregon. So we only got about two minutes left uh, in the show here. And I just want to, uh, again, you know, just – Tell people that you know anytime they want to get a hold of, of the show, they can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. Even between shows, to talk, you know, ask us questions about a past show or make suggestions about future shows or a topic they want to see covered or a guest they'd like me to have on the show. And uh, hopefully, I won't start up so late, and we won't have such bad weather um, that I'm going to have to hang up and run out of here. Hopefully, to beat the uh, ice forming on the roads. But, uh, you know, this is a, a show that's really uh, for the, the audience. I'm here to answer questions. This is one way I'm available to folks. They, you, know, you can also message me on Facebook and get to our Facebook page. And, uh, you know, just, you know, reach out. Let me know if you've got an issue or uh, you have with a decision I've made or you have an issue, uh, an opinion you want to express on an upcoming decision we're going to make, uh, let me know. And uh, we can talk about it uh, live here on, on the air uh, on the Bose Nose Show in the upcoming week. But this week's almost done with, and uh, really appreciate folks tuning in and listening. And we will see you uh, soon here on the Bose Nose Show next week. Uh, should be a good show. Uh, hopefully, I won't be, I have to start late. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Everybody drive safe out there. It's kind of crazy. Good night, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>